I, um, I have been raised in the permissive society. I'm a Catholic, cultural Catholic, and I say, gee, uh, I don't think I don't think uh, fornication was so evil. Well, my view is X is sometimes okay. The Pope infallibly teaches X is never okay. Now, let's put that aside. Let's now take a more subtle case. Before I answer the first, I want to answer the second, which is part and parcel. Let's say the church infallibly teaches that mercy killing is intrinsically evil. That there's someone suffering pain. We are allowed to give painkillers. We need not give extraordinary means of, of prolonging the life. We are forbidden from putting an injection in that person which would kill the person. The typical euthanasia. You people in England have the merit of having fathered one Derek Humphrey. He is the head of the Hemlock Society. And he's trying to change the laws of country. First of all, most countries now allow you to commit suicide. There's not much they can do about you. If you, if you do commit suicide, they can't arrest you. It's too late. They can arrest you if you bungle the job. But Humphrey wants the right to assisted suicide so because most people, they can't even kill themselves right. They're bunglers all the way through. So Humphrey wants them to be able to authorize the MD to kill them in the efficient way. The medical profession is the most efficient executioner in the history of the world. They've got all kinds of experience killing babies, so it will be no problem for them to kill adults or suffering adults. So, now, some people think, not only is mercy killing allowed, most people think it's allowed, some people think it's mandatory. They think they would be committing a sin if they saw a human person writhing in pain and they simply said, we can't do anything. God prohibits us from, putting, from killing you. Now, I have had many animals, and some of whom I've put away. I had a dog who had a terrible disease, and he was obviously in pain. So I took him to a vet, and it cost me money to have him put to sleep. Now, I don't know the morality of failing to put a suffering animal to sleep. It's a difficult problem. But it's, if I have a, a mother dying of cancer in a terribly painful stage, state, it seems to me not simply that it's allowed, Gee, what, what? she's going to die anyhow, three months from now, and of course God would allow me to put her to sleep. But I even think if I don't put her to sleep, I'm committing a sin. I'm calloused. So that could be so. Now, now notice what is happening now. The church teaches that X is always evil. In the one case, it's fornication. And I didn't think fornication is mandatory. I know some kooks do. Some people think that you're obliged to fornicate. Well, that goes a little far. But I, think, I mean, I might think it's pretty nice to do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. X, in the second case is, the church teaches X is never allowed. And X, in this case, is mercy killing. And I think X is not only allowed, it's mandatory. Now, who wins? You see, in the first case, there is no problem of conscience. 
I thought fornication was a lot of fun. I didn't think it was a moral issue, just as I right now don't think chewing gum is a moral issue. I happen not to chew it. My teeth would come out. And I think it's stupid for people to snap gum all the time. I don't think it's sinful. But if the church starts telling me solemnly that chewing gum is sinful, I've got a problem, in a way. But here now, if I think X is okay, and the church solemnly and fallibly teaches me X is sinful, well, my conscience doesn't come into the problem at all. I can't say I must obey my conscience. My conscience says, because, precisely because I didn't think it was a sin, my conscience is asleep. So I, of course, accept the church is teaching us true, because I believe in one holy Roman Catholic and apostolic church, and now my conscience, the next time I'm about to, to blink at a pretty girl and jump into bed with her, my conscience is going to say, don't do it, it's a sin. You now have been instructed by infallible authority, it's a sin. So the only relationship of conscience to that teaching of the church is that my conscience stops being asleep, wakens up, and from now on will warn me not to do the thing which I now know to be a sin. When it comes to the second case of, youth, of mercy killing, it seems more difficult, but it's not. The correct resolution is perfectly simple. I had thought it was mandatory to kill that person. Mandatory. A mandatory act of, of compassion for the person to kill that person. I had thought that God, through his moral law, had said to me, you are obliged to put suffering people out of their misery, or else you commit a sin. My church, which I, which I believe firmly to teach infallibly, when it says it's teaching infallibly, my church convinces me that so far from my killing people being mandatory, it's never allowed. Well, then I say, praise be to God for light. The church enlightened my conscience. My conscience had been wrong. And because I am now sure that the church teaches what is true, I change my conscience so as to conform with the truth. Because I don't want victory. I want right. I don't want me to prevail. I want truth to prevail. And if the teacher of truth tells me, X is evil, Rome has spoken, the matter is closed. That is the famous... Uh, say. And it would be nonsense for someone to say, but my conscience prohibits me from, from, from allowing that woman to stay there. I'm going to say, dear friend, your conscience ought to prevail when you think that a man commands you to do something, but God commands you to do the opposite. It's better to obey God than man. But if God's church teaches you that this is evil, and your conscience teaches you that this is mandatory, well, obviously your conscience is wrong. Does God contradict himself? What do you mean it's better to obey God rather than man? That God himself through his church tells you this is so. So your conscience is wrong, and you ought to clarify your conscience. And every person in good faith who has moral problems, ought to get this straight. The name of the game is not to hoodwink yourself or your confessor or your mother-in-law. I mean, that's easy. We can deceive ourselves. The name of the... God is not hoodwinked. 
God is not mocked. We want to be good. And if his church teaches that something, if church infallibly teaches that something is evil, we may not do it. This conscience is a mere uh, red herring. It's a mere irrelevancy. And it ought to be rooted out. Now, believe it or not, most progressives would even agree with that. They are the shrewdest people, the progressive theologians. Our America has uh, given you people, our father Charles Curran, one of the most despicable men, now teaching in the Roman Catholic Church. He is professor of moral theology at our pontifical university, the Catholic University of America. And he'll go around the country uh, telling us about how, uh, of course, contraception is okay. But, but the Pope says contraception is evil. Yes, but it's not infallible. And abortion is sometimes okay, according to Father Curran. But the Pope denounces abortion. Yes, but it's not infallible. And you people in the, U in the United Kingdom, I've been reading some of the publications this last week. You have a great theologian. He's called the Duke of Norfolk. Really deep. And he is being, he is being uh, supported by priests and, and, and monsignors and perhaps some bishops and your own theologian. And they are well aware that Rome says X is evil, in this case homosexual actions or abortion or contraception. But their whole defense is it, it's not infallible. And the Pope's been wrong before. So this, therefore... They act as if, if the Pope explicitly taught this with the full authority of infallibility, then, like obedient theologians, they would yield. Oh, yeah. I heard a rumor from Hamish Fraser, would that it's so. He said that he, someone sent him a clipping from the London Times by this uh, very knowledgeable man, Clifford Longley, I think his name is. And Clifford is spreading the rumor that the Holy Father right now is a, is, it may promulgate a document solemnly asserting that Humani Vitae is infallible. Humani Vitae belongs to what is called the ordinary teaching authority of the Church. I claim it enjoys infallibility from long custom, just as the immemorial mass has never been suppressed because of long custom, that the ordinary magisterium of the church refers to what has always been taught everywhere in every context to all people, and even if it has never been solemnly defined by pope or council, you better believe it. And the church has never, never said that contraception is allowable. The debate has raged rigorously for the last 60 years, but as this professor Noonan a man, by the way, who thinks contraception is all right. He's a very intelligent uh, legal philosopher, canon lawyer from America, John Noonan. He even thinks he's a good pro-lifer, which I doubt. But at least he wants to be a good pro-lifer. He's written an exhaustive study called Contraception in which he fully admits there is not one instance where the official church had ever, ever said contraception is morally permissible. Well, friends, that bestows an infallibility in the ordinary sense. It's not the extraordinary formal infallibility, but it's the ordinary infallibility of the church. And if the church should ever say, therefore, that contraception is sometimes allowed, the church would self-destruct. Cannot. Cannot. But this is, uh, uh, this is why... So, 
To get back to this, though, my last problem is this. I claim that most people who are serious would agree with everything I've said. But now comes a problem. Suppose we have a teaching of the church which is solemnly promulgated but is not explicitly formally infallible. And Humani Vitae would fall into this. I would say Humani Vitae is only informally infallible. Well, that's good enough. It's quite solemnly promulgated by every pontiff. Conception only became an issue 80 years ago. When, when new mechanical devices were perfected, and above all, 20 years ago when the pill got defect, a, a, a efficient. Now, prior to that, uh, you had miscarriages. And as Noonan says, the church theologians had all kinds of different reasons why they thought contraception was evil. Some of the reasons are rather wrong and fantastic. But the teaching has never changed. The reasons have changed, never the teaching. Now, this is a more difficult case. And I want to give two different aspects, and the confusion will lie right here. The first is, the magisterium says in this, in, in this non-formal, infallible way, in this informal way, in other words, it does not explicitly mean to be infallible, just like humanivite, therefore, the magisterium says X is evil, sinful, and I think that X is permissible. It's just like me and the fornication before, but before the church infallibly taught that fornication was evil in my example, now I'm assuming it's not this explicit infallibility. So the church says X is evil, and I say, gee, is that so? I don't see what's evil about it. And let me give two examples, the one being rather outrageous, but I precisely want to do it. I myself used to smoke like mad, two, three packs a day, and I gave it up about 30 years and 30, and 30 pounds ago. It cost me a gain of a lot of weight when I gave up that obnoxious habit. I don't think smoking is immediately a moral problem. I mean, I don't think you need to go confession if you light up a cigarette. There is a secondary moral problem that we have a, an obligation to take care of our health. But that, that's a very remote thing, so I'm not about to tell people to line up for confession because you smoke. But suppose we got some genius who issued an encyclical. Beloved brethren, smoking is intrinsically evil. Well, then my, my point would be, gee, I never thought of it that way. I think it's foolish, it's expensive, your teeth rot and so on, right? and it's dangerous maybe to your health. I didn't think it was sinful. Now, nobody worries about smoking, but that's the way a lot of people are about contraception, especially today. If you have been educated in the church for the last 20 years, it would be a miracle of the first class that you've ever heard a man teach you personally, or a woman, that contraception is evil. You're a product of Catholic education. It's almost the exact reverse. I went to a seminary. 35 seminarians, 8 professors. I was the only person in that room to hold that contraception was evil. And I bet if I went back, I'd be one of the few to hold that abortion is evil. So therefore, most people, I mean, most people in this carefree, permissive society 
they, they've had the television to instruct them. They have all these wise dukes to instruct them. And therefore, they don't see anything wrong with it. To them, taking, popping a pill in your mouth is no more evil than, than drawing uh, smoke from a cigarette. So Rome comes out, and, and Rome says, X is evil, and then my smoking, contraception is evil, contraceptive intercourse is evil. And I think, it is? Gee, it's the first I ever heard of it. I thought it was okay. Now don't forget, this is, an infall- this is a non-infallible pronouncement. I don't know if Rome is right or wrong. I don't have this full guarantee. That's the first case. The second case is, Rome says X is evil, and I, on the contrary, think X is mandatory. Just the way, again, with that case of mercy killing over only here again, we're talking about non-infallible judgment. And I, therefore, say, Rome says thou shalt not. It is evil to do it. And I say it is evil not to do it. And I'm going to give you a good example on that in a minute. Now let's give the resolutions. The first case is very easy to resolve. Although this is where all the progressives deal when they give us this excuse of conscience. They're always using conscience in this case that I've just mentioned that Rome says X is evil. I see nothing wrong with it. Well friends, I can't say I must follow my conscience. Precisely because I see nothing wrong with X, my conscience is asleep. My conscience doesn't talk to me about whether I pop a jelly bean in my mouth or whether I pop a a cigarette in my mouth. That's not my conscience. And if by hypothesis the problem is precisely about something X, contraception in this case, which I don't think to be evil, well, my conscience is on vacation. It doesn't have to work here. So Rome says X is evil. I find nothing wrong with X. So if I oppose Rome, it can never be, I must obey God rather than men. Because because the Pope, being a mere man, says thou must not take a pill. And God apparently tells me I must take a pill. God doesn't tell me I must take a pill. I didn't think there was anything wrong. I didn't think there was anything moral one way or the other. So therefore, in this case, dear friends, when I reject the Pope, And millions and millions of Catholics are doing it. National hierarchies are doing it. This will will prune the church to about 5% of its population. When they reject papal teaching, let them reject it honestly. My judgment, Holy Father, is contraception is as innocent as jelly beans or smoking. Your judgment, you dumb Italian or you dumb Pollock, is that contraception is evil. Well, I think my judgment is better than your judgment. Fine. That's an honest answer to the Pope. But don't come around and say, we must obey conscience. As if to say, this terrible Pope is forbidding you to do what God commands you to do. And that's the diabolical point in this whole Humani Vitae debate. They use this noble word conscience as if it is a mark of honor and moral integrity to resist this evil Pope who commands you to do evil and you have to follow conscience because God 
must be obeyed rather than men. No, you're following judgment. The dumb Pollock, the dumb Italian, he thinks X is evil, but what does he know? He doesn't know what a bedroom is like. He's a celibate. I know or think X. I have no, I never thought X had anything to do with morality, and therefore I'm going to do X. Okay? But don't give me the conscience bit. Now, the final problem is a real possibility of resisting the Pope or resisting the teaching authority. I claim this, this case I've just mentioned, if you claim humani vitae does not bind because of conscience, you're in bad faith. It has nothing to do with conscience, it's private judgment. But now comes this case where the non-infallible teaching authority of the church teaches me that X is prohibited. And I think X is mandatory. Right? And I want to give you a real case which could come about. The case would be runaway slaves. Let's say I don't really claim to know the history of the American slave trade and the American Civil War, but there no doubt is a lot of truth to the horror stories. So let's say in the south of America there's a cruel slavery. The black man enslaved by the white man. And it's cruel. It's not just uh, servitude. I mean, a lot of servants being paid wages, but it's real slavery. And let's say some of these slaves are escaping and they're hiding out in homes, right? And thanks to their hiding out, they finally are taken to the north where they live free because the state law there would have allowed them their free. Now, suppose the civil authorities say, we don't like you northerners hiding out these niggers. We don't want you people uh, uh, hiding out these people. We, the minute a black comes around, you have to denounce them to the authorities. Well, we say, I'm sorry, I'm not about to yield up a human being to slavery. So you'll resist the state authority, and, and you have every right to do that. But let's say Rome writes an encyclical and says, it has come to our attention, beloved brethren, that you are depriving owners of their property. That when a slave escapes from his master, he's cheating his master. And therefore, we teach you, venerable brethren, that when you hide a slave in your basement, you're committing a sin. You must denounce the slave to the authorities. Right? Now, my conscience tells me, on the contrary, I must hide the slave from the authority. That if I denounce the slave, then I commit a sin, surrendering my brethren to a horrible life. Well, here's a clear case of conscience versus papal teaching. And in this case, you still don't have to say, well, let the Pope drop dead. You still better think, wait a minute, that this is promulgated with the solemn authority of the church. You have to investigate 
are there any precedents for this? Because don't forget, he is not supporting it with his explicit teaching authority. Has this been the constant teaching of the church? Is this rooted in tradition and the fathers and everything else? And it may very well be that you grasp, or at least you think you grasp, that this is an abuse of the teaching authority of the church. In fact, the teaching authority of the church is in error on something non-infallible, please. And it is such an error that it prohibits you from doing, hiding a slave, what you think you are commanded to do. So your conscience will bother you if you give up that slave. Well, that is a tragic situation, but I say here your conscience should win. This is the one case when Rome, in a non-infallible way, and above all in a way which is clearly a departure from tradition, when Rome, in a non-infallible way, says X is mandatory, and you think X is prohibited, depending on how you want to say it, you know what I mean, that if Rome says you must denounce the slave, you think to denounce the slave is a moral evil, well, you may not do what you think is a moral evil. Now, dear friends, I've explicitly mentioned this last case, and I now say this, it has never happened. That the teaching authority of the church is not that, is not that careless. There are, there are plenty of times when the teaching of the authority of the church has been slow. The church seems to take 50 years to notice anything, and another 50 years to correct it. The church has been lax. It has not denounced vigorously enough what it should have denounced vigorously. The church has had all sorts of human weaknesses in which men in authority and men subject to that authority are, are, are scandalous sinners. But I defy people to show me a solemnly promulgated document of the ordinary magisterium, not just a little command of a pope to a few Venetian soldiers to assassinate the Florentines, but I mean a document addressed to the whole world, the way Humani Vitae was, using the ordinary magisterium, whereby the magisterium says X must be done, let's say, uh, denounce runaway slaves, and our conscience clearly says X may not be done, because X would be a sin. So that is my resolution of all the problems. If I try to sum it up, it will probably get more confusing I want to end up with this word, though, of St. James. We, I in my life, I'm 56 now. I have seen the church, I've been, my total education ended before Vatican II, 1952. And I have been the beneficiary of orderly Catholic education. It was not always the best it could be, but it was pretty good. In retrospect, I'm quite grateful. I wish it had been better, but it was pretty good. I then started teaching in a Catholic university, which at first was superb. My first ten years were delightful. I started teaching in 54, and even up into 64, it was my great delight to go to class. I had hundreds of serious students. There was a serious interest in truth. I have now seen the total abolition of the interest in truth, the interest in anything else. 
I have seen everything scandalous, blasphemous, and faith, morals, liturgy, everything else. The church is in a total shambles. And if you ask me how it happened, one of the reasons, perhaps the chief reason has been that men have taught that Peter was in error, and grievous error, and nonsensical error, when Peter promulgated what has always been the teaching of the church. They have taught this in the name of conscience, and I hope I've shown you how false, what sort of an irrelevancy conscience has been. Therefore, the word of St. James occurs to me all the time. I'm in the teaching profession. It's one of the most populated professions in the world. We have 65 million people in schools. They're prisoners, really. I pity the poor victims of school. But I'm one of the slave masters. I'm one of the school teachers, as it were. And most people think teaching is a lark. You don't care what you do. Just get up there and do your own thing. But St. James says, and this is what I try to meditate on, not every day, but as often as possible, He said, let not many of you be teachers, for yours will be the stricter judgment. And this is what I say to all of these teachers, these theologians, these bishops, these independent laymen, these national conferences, these editorial writers, these dukes, who are teaching the confused flock. I say, you ought to think twice. Become an entertainer. Play football, but don't be a teacher. Let not many of you be teachers, for yours is the stricter judgment.